The New Level Cap Podcast is a show about fun, friends, game design, and all things otherwise. Your hosts are Marco DeSantos and Brad Talton of Level 99 Games. I'm Chris Solis, your producer, and without further ado, please enjoy the show. Do you want to make a podcast? No. No? I don't want to make a podcast. But Brad, you have entered into a catch-22 by answering, you're already making the podcast with me. That was a good, like, 15 seconds, man. I'm impressed with your lung capacity. Oh, my gosh. Don't be a Veda hater. Veda hater? No, you know what I hate right now? Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Do you hate Kingdom Hearts? Yeah, well, I've always, like, kind of... Like, the reason I talk about it is because, like, I lovingly hate it. Like, I love to hate on it, you know what I mean? And Yeah, with, unlike Dark Souls, which we hate to love. Yeah, which we hate to love, because everybody else loves it, and everybody it's, like, so belabored at this point. But yes, I recently found out some piece of trivia in the board gaming scene that makes me hate myself, I guess. What's that? Uh, they're going to release Talisman Kingdom Hearts Edition. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect fit. That's a perfect fit. Exactly, right? Because it's uh it's a game where you you roll dice and you move forward and it's a very simple game with a whole lot of mechanics. And that's why it's a great fit for Kingdom Hearts. You know, my partner was like, "Don't be fooled into buying it." I'm like, "I'm not. It's Talisman." And they're like, "What is Talisman?" And I was like, "You know Snakes and Ladders? It's that but with extra bells and whistles." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> it is pretty much just snakes and ladders with extra bells and whistles. But Brad, why do you hate Kingdom Hearts? I, I've heard some news recently that has uh, gotten me quite interested. So I, I tried. To, I tried to play through Kingdom Hearts three. Um, as you know, Kingdom Hearts three is the third game in the Kingdom Hearts series that I played, following Kingdom Hearts one and two. Uh, so you'd presume that I could play this game. Right. I actually went and watched a couple YouTube synopses so that I would be okay with the, the famously complex plot of this game. Hmm. So I started playing the game. Uh, I got to about Twilight Town. And you, you know, monsters pop up. You mash X. There's like 15 different ways to mash X mm-hmm. uh, to make the monsters go away. But they just don't go away fast enough no matter how many times you mash X. And I, I just couldn't tell what was going on. And then I got to the story segments. And they started getting to the data Soras, and I still couldn't tell what was going on. So I'm like, well, I've already fumbled through eight hours of this game. Uh, this, well, no, it's probably like I fumbled through like four or five hours of that game at that point. And I was like, I'm not going to keep waiting for this game to get good for another five hours. I'm done. I see. So well, my, my favorite part was flying the gummy ship, if that tells you anything about my Kingdom Hearts experience. Oh, my gosh, Kingdom Hearts. I don't know how you could mess it up. I don't know how you could mess it up, but welcome to the new episode of the new Level Cap podcast, where we have resolved to now embargo Kingdom Hearts forever. Are we just, are we going to leave that in? Are we just going to, like, throw shade for five minutes on Kingdom Hearts, apropos of nothing, and Uh, then go on to start the podcast? uh, Sure, why not? (laughs) Okay, if you can fit it in the time, why not? Uh, I mean, look, I'll cut it out otherwise. Is this, wait, is this segment part of the thing, or is this like an editorial segment? I don't know. I don't even know what's happening anymore. I'm so confused. You know, like, it's we probably have to dive in and ask Data Marco to figure it out. <laughs> ah, yes. Don't uh, forget Shadow Brad and, like, Semnus. Because Semnus is going to be there no matter what you do, right? 
Yeah. What's my what's my what's my division or my what's my um, organization thirteen name? Let's see. Um, that's just be something see. weird. Like, uh, you you need to have X in your name, right? Because that's a that's a yeah. So you have to be like, um, Savid or Danix or something like that. Let's see. Yeah, it's probably. Uh, I'm I'm getting I'm getting like Daxerb. Daxerb. Daxerb seems to be Daxerb. Daxerb isn't bad. Sokrum is mine, of course. Let's just let's just be very clear. Sokrum is my organization thirteen name. My weapon is a laptop that is also a gun. There you go. It's um that's my character design. I have a black hood, yellow hair, and sixteen belts. Um, why why such a low belt score? Low that's low. I'm sorry. It's I'm not powerful enough, you know? It's, it's just part of oh, my man. power level. All right, no, but this, this has gone too far. Too it's far. Gone, it's gone too far. Let's start the podcast. I'll probably cut some of that out. Hello, and <laughs> welcome to this latest episode of the New Level Cap Podcast, featuring me, your host, Marco DeSantos, also known as Mechanic Critic, and with me is my very amazing co-host, owner, God of Level Ninety Nine Games himself. The um, yes, as uh, the the owner God of Level Ninety Nine Games. Yes, yes. What that's... kind of a title is that? I don't know. You don't see that on a business card every day. Yeah, and it, it's certainly unique, Brad Talton Jr., who didn't say his name after I introduced him. Oh, yeah, I'm Brad Talton Jr. Yeah. Um, please, Brad Talton was my father. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess don't literally. Don't get confused. Yeah, yeah, I guess literally. So, welcome. Uh, we're here to bring you a new episode of design talk and mechanical talk. And Brad and I have collaborated for the past five minutes on... Uh, shading on Kingdom Hearts. Therefore, our latest episode, this episode, will be about cooperative mechanics and how you can implement them in your game and what they can do for your game experience. So let's start it off with a banger by having Brad tell us, what are co-op mechanics? Well, um, this may not be completely obvious from the uh, the basic premise, but when you cooperate with other people, you work together with them for a mutual goal and you win together as a team, uh, by achieving that goal. Um, so mm-hmm. the co-op mechanics are the mechanics that enable us to cooperate um, or to coordinate uh, with one another. And that's a, that's an interesting dichotomy, uh, cooperation versus coordination. But we, we'll talk further about that as we get deeper into the, the cooperative mechanics pool. Yes, yes. So it's very important to understand that cooperation is oftentimes a thing that you don't think about when you play board games. Not a lot of board games have co-op mechanics, you know? But a lot of them do well, it's have... A, it's a significant genre these days. It used to be that it was pretty rare to find, but nowadays you do find a lot of co-op games. Oh. Um, and they range from being really intense uh, strategic co-ops to kind of being group activities that we all participate in together. And there's there's a whole spectrum there. Well, okay, I guess that's true. And if I really think about it, like when pe- when you say like tabletop gaming, people like the only game people ever think about is legit a cooperative game, a hundred percent of the time. So, Dungeons uh, yeah. and Dragons, in case nobody got that. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Brad, let's talk about cooperation. How do games make use of cooperative mechanics? Why? What are the categories? I mean, like I don't know. Is there different kinds? So, so. 
we could we could open this up a little bit and we could say that any game where you can work together with other people has some co-op elements right you've got your fully cooperative games when these are things like your pandemics and your um you know flashpoint fire rescue games like that where you either all win or you all lose together so we have to we're all working completely together on the same goal mm-hmm. then you sort of have your uh, your semi co-ops which are like Shadows Over Camelot or Battlestar Galactica, where we're probably on the same team, but maybe one of us isn't. Like, there's always we don't really know if it's fully cooperative or not. Yeah, right? I, but we have to assume that the players are working with us, or else we won't be able to achieve our objectives. Well, it's not just that, right? There are certain games where how do I put it? I forgot the name of the game. It, it was like something Ocean Masters or whatever, where um or like something about Ragnarok. Or Vikings, where everyone is actually competing against each other, except some of the tasks in the game are so monumentous for one player to achieve by themselves that everyone is forced to cooperate on it. Because if that thing resolves, everyone loses. <laughs> so yeah, the, like, so that's... I think that's that's kind of a third a third sort of category is you have these I guess collusion games where we have to work together or we get to work together, but we don't necessarily you know, need to work together where we're trying to, and that kind of falls in the, the semi-cooperative group yeah. as well, where we're not on the same team, but we are cooperating. There are avenues for cooperation and for mutual beneficence between us. Yeah. You know why I mentioned this topic? You know why I picked this topic for this week? Well, why is that? Because I've been playing a lot of Millennium Blades Collusion, which is ironically not a semi-co-op. It's kind of like a melding of both because co-op game, it, it, the new team mode introduced in Collusion is a fully cooperative mode that is PvP still, right? Well, so so it's that would be you know you have an ally and you and your you and your ally are working together against another enemy. It's not truly fully co-op because there is a there is a human opponent force, right? Yeah. Um. So like I think we would say that like the boss mode is fully cooperative. But the um, the team mode is really just semi cooperative. Like you have a team member and they you win and lose together with them. Mm. Uh, but you're also competing. Hmm. I mean, mm. see where see, do you draw the line, right? Where do you draw it, the line? Exactly. Having having a team member is it uh, you know is it is it just when you can work together but you are not truly team members even? Yeah. There's a lot of degrees. There's a lot of degrees, and it's a big space to explore. Yeah, but really, I think the big separation here is, uh, for, for the sake of definition and discussion, right? Fully cooperative games are all the players play with each other as yeah. friends. And, and, then... and semi-cooperative, some players may be working against other players or working only for themselves. But the potential for cooperation or the existence of cooperation is in the game. Yeah. And I yeah. think this is a very fun thing to explore, and I feel like it's not something that a lot of games tend to explore. Not necessarily because I don't think anybody makes co-op games, but I do feel like there's a lot of design space left, because a lot of our interaction, or a lot of game design and game mechanics, especially in video games, lend themselves to conflict, right? When you learn programming for a video game, the first thing you think about is collisions. And what's the first game mechanic you can attach to collisions? Hitting things, right? So, And I feel like co-op games have a lot of design space unexplored simply because everybody's too focused on the easy way, quote-unquote, which is to create conflict as a means of engagement. Really, there's I, I think there's quite a few um, 
cooperative, two-player cooperatives out there. Um, the really popular in this day these days is called Fog of Love, and oh. it's uh, you work together with another player to kind of build this romantic comedy script. And uh, I haven't played it yet myself, but it's been blowing up. Brad, um, they do especially well around Valentine's Day, as you might imagine. Brad, this sounds awesome! Oh my gosh, yeah. I need to play this. Yeah, we should um, play this, but not necessarily with each other. Yeah, but so when when you have games like this where we're cooperating, but we don't have full information of the other player's sides, so games like this or Hanabi, or um, like you're saying a prisoner game, those um, are called coordination games, and this is the the technical term in game theory. And in the coordination game, we are trying to work together, but we don't have the complete tool set or the complete information to a to so that one we can't solve the game because the uh, the coordination element is the game. Because with a lot of games like Pandemic, you have full information, and one player can just drive the entire game or play all four seats if they want to. Yeah. And um, sometimes teamwork tends to break down. Well. I feel like that's a big problem with some of the cooperative games and maybe why I feel like games like Pandemic don't necessarily fit into the fully cooperative because it it becomes less of a, oh, let's all play together and have fun and more of one smart person just does everything. Yeah, well, they, tr- they truly are. They truly are fully cooperative. The, the trouble is that they're also fully coordinated, which means that, um, yeah, that you only need one brain to operate all the seats. And that's, you know, as long as the players can play around that, it's fine. It's when uh, it's when players demand an optimized experience when they try to to you know to play it as good as they possibly can. That's when the fun and the game kind of breaks down. It's ultimately a flaw. I think a, a game that asks the players not to play optimally is is kind of fundamentally it's got some fundamental flaw to it. I see. Um, but that doesn't prevent people from having a good time with it. Oh, yeah, uh, de- definitely true. You know, I, I it's think... just it's a thing. So. I think one important point of discussion I want to bring up right now is to help our listeners understand what you just said. Yeah, if the roles in your game feel like one player's set of actions just chopped up into smaller bits so that you can justify having more players, then it might mean that your design is a bit lacking, huh? Most of these games, I think, begin as solo games, right? And then from the solo game, you say, well, how can we break it up so that multiple people can play? And... It does. It's um, but there's there needs to be another jump there where you say how do we make it so that multiple people want to play? Um, how do we introduce coordination into the game? Because in a full co-op, the only the only games are going to be skill or coordination. Uh, it's not going to be solution or solving or strategy because the players will have complete communication and will will synchronize their strategy and their and their actions. Yeah, and I feel like that might be something that is a downfall of these kinds of games. But before we head on deeper into that, let's move on over to a small break where Brad and I can compose ourselves and hopefully cooperate with the world to bring you more finer points on cooperation. Brad, take us to the break, please. Um, well, you just did. Break time. The Level 99 Games official Discord is the best place to find fans of your favorite games talk strategies, and even find online play. You can find a link to the Discord in the description. Well, welcome back, everybody. Marco and I are here. We are composed and coordinated, and we're ready to cooperate to bring you the next segment of this podcast. Marco, Mm. 
My cooperation meter is at 100%. Quickly, grab yep. my hand so that we can perform our special attack. Is this a Pacific Rim reference or an Evangelion reference? It's all of them, I guess. I mean, like oh. JRPGs with friendship. I mean, like, literally every oh, yeah, trope. that too. Yeah, so quick, grab my hand so we can perform our special team attack. All right, Chrono Trigger, go. All right, so we've combined our powers, and now we're going to bring you the second half of this episode where we talk about the pros and cons of co-op mechanics in games. Not simply just, you know, whether or not they're poorly or greatly implemented, but that co-ops are a fundamentally different experience compared to all other types of games, right? Like, you can't just add the co-op mechanic into your game and expect it to play around the same, right? The whole game... Uh, takes on a new light. Like you, ch- you change that fundamental structure of, well, what do I want to be doing and why, and what's the reward for this thing, and you don't have to change any other mechanics. You've got a wholly different game. Yeah, and this exactly. is why, yeah, co-ops are such a different. It's almost more than a different genre. Right? Oh yeah, I mean, like at, at the end of the day, adding co-op mechanics to your game again, like you said, fundamentally changes it. So it's it's not just something like oh, I added in a catch-up mechanic and now this thing happens. Like, that doesn't fundamentally change how people interact with your game. Adding co-op mechanics does, right? Like, like compare Tetris to co-op Tetris for whatever reason. Like, imagine having or two Battle people... Battle Royale Tetris. I mean, Battle Royale Tetris, I guess. Tetris 99. Like. But cooperative Tetris sounds a lot more fun. Right, right. I just don't know how it would be. Like, maybe one person does a side game that determines what blocks get sent to you or something. Maybe, maybe. I mean, what if you're playing Tetris and I am playing Wario's Woods and so I have a little guy that can walk around and drop bombs into your Tetris stack? Ooh, to clear some stuff that you don't like or something like that. Oh, that would be cool. That would be a cool game. Like, asymmetric cooperative puzzle game. Yeah. That's interesting. The, The coordination there is really important. I would say one of the best cooperative video games on the market right now, Overcooked. It's frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> it's, but it's so good. And Overcooked is a, is a true, fully cooperative game. We all win together. We all have one score. There's no MVPs, mm-hmm. right? But what makes it interesting? What makes it fun? It's not that we have this challenge, right? Once you automate your kitchen, once you solve the kitchen the game is kind of over. You're just executing. Yes. What's fun about it is when we go into a kitchen and now we have to A, solve the solve the kitchen while adapting to all this crazy stuff that's going on in the mm. background. Yeah. Yeah, what makes this game great is that it's a true coordination game. Um, the, we have to be constantly communicating, constantly adapting to the needs and the changes in the stage and coordinating our efforts so that we can time everything together. And it's that coordination element which really makes the game interesting. And it makes all the players feel relevant. And, you know, building on that, I feel like coordination is a very important part of any good co-op game. At least to me, right? Like Because I don't necessarily feel that Pandemic or any of the solved non-coordination games are that engaging for me. Mostly Mm -hmm. because in coordination games... You want to hear everyone's opinion. It encourages players to talk to each other because they have to or else they'll lose, right? So I'm a big player of games like Monster Hunter 
And mm -hmm. Monster Hunter is basically this, right? Like, you can sure play it yeah. alone, right? But if you want to beat Bahamut or whatever, because that's a thing. Yeah, that's not the proper way to play the game. Alone. Yeah. You want to yeah. be, you, you need team members. You need to have, be partying up. Yeah, and nothing is as cool to me as, like, this is why I love tabletop RPGs or Monster Hunter. It's because, like, the concept of forming and creating a party strategy with four people or four other people is so amazing to me. Because then you'll be like, oh, I want to fulfill this role, I want to do that thing. And that just increases player interaction and engagement with the game. Because not only are they invested in actually winning, they're invested in seeing their specific strategy or coordination work out. And that's awesome, right? Yeah, and it's it's that it's that it's the fun of, it's the fun of working together to solve these challenges that makes these cooperative games so endearing to players. Yeah. And so I'd yeah. say that's the real advantage of co-op is that everybody can be a winner and everybody can make a contribution. Ah, oh, so like this beautiful. is the real this is the real advantage. This is what you gain when you put co-op into your games. We're all encouraged to work together to win together. And I feel like that again going back to our values as level 99 games games should bring people together and that's, absolutely that's why i feel like of all of our games millennium blades collusion specifically as well as the upcoming seventh cross are some of my like most anticipated ones mostly because a lot of our games are you know player versus player and not a lot of them are player versus game in the most recent weeks, some of the most fun I've had is playing co-op Millennium Blades with people, testing it, <laughs> and then just going like, oh, look, we made the boss lose 16,000 points. Good job, everyone. And we all laughed, and it was funny, because we all like we all coordinated that, and we all were like, oh, what cards do you have? Oh, I have these cards. Oh, look at this. Look at that. And it's, ah, oh, so good. Yeah. It's so good. I love it when a plan comes together. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, put that cigar in your mouth, and there's an explosion, and we ride a Van Diesel out of here. So, Brad, that's... <laughs> I had to mention him. Uh, he had to be here. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Van Diesel is, is almost on that Kingdom Hearts level of anathema. Ah, oh, he's... He is my boy. You, you do know that they're on our official Discord server, uh, the link for which you can find in the description down below. If you type semicolon, or is it colon? No, colon. Colon, Van, colon. It brings up the Van Diesel face, and... Ah... Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that you had everything to do with that, Marco. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's great. We have Van Diesel emojis in our Discord. What else do you need? That's all you need to join the Discord. But Brad, we keep talking about how great co-op mechanics are, but they're not always great, right? Yeah, and yet, and yet so many people hate co-op games. Um, Why? A lot of co-op games that are, you know, that have this, this fundamental flaw, right? That they're basically a you know a multiplayer a group activity invent an exercise and when a game becomes solved it is an exercise to just you just have to complete it mm -hmm. the yeah. yeah so the that's what um so the best the, the co-op games um you know there are a couple of different ways to mitigate that but let's talk about the problem the real problem is if you have full information if you have full control in a turn-based game and you have unlimited time one player can can play all seats, and so often in a group you'll have a dominant player. We call this like an alpha player problem, where this player can play the game, or rather than teaching you to play your own character, will just play your character for you. Or if you try to make a move that's suboptimal, they will let you know that your move is suboptimal and mm. should be improved. 
Nothing is- uh, as you can imagine, it's not very fun to play with these kind of players because they take away your agency. The worst. The worst. Yeah. Uh, I just but, like those so much. I mean, thankfully, like these people are not hard to identify, right? Like You know if there's an alpha player in a group. So this is really a problem for pickup games. When I go to a game store and four random people sit down to play um, you know, a, a cooperative game with me. Mm. Then you know I have that I run that risk of meeting an alpha gamer, but it's but it's generally not a problem for groups that understand who they're playing with, because mm. either I know there's an alpha player in my group or I'm okay with that, or I just don't play with them. Uh-huh. We don't bring these games out when they're around. Yeah, um, smart. But you don't have to play with an alpha player if you know they're an alpha player. Yeah, but games have tried various ways to overcome this. The easiest and most classic one is to say, well, what if all the players aren't sure that they're working together? Then you can't give good advice. You can't, you know, tell other players what to do because maybe they have their own agendas. And uh, so let's introduce a traitor to the game or secret roles. Mm. Right? Yeah. And when you do that, then the players will, you know, will not totally understand what what they're trying to optimize. Right. Other play- players might be working to undermine the others. Yeah. But that can be tough too because if a game is not obtuse. If it's clear-cut and it's goals, then it's pretty easy to see who's working towards those goals and who's not working towards those goals. So I feel like this traitor mechanic cannot exist with near full information, right? So, of course, the role or the secret role will be hidden. But mm-hmm. if everything else in your game is public and seen, like, for example, oh, no, a dragon has attacked the city... We need everyone to help. And the player's like, nah, I'll just go buy potions at this shop, I guess. Right? Like, yeah. like that. These games tend to start relying really heavily on secret information. So yeah. like in Battlestar Galactica, if we need to do a challenge, what happens is we all throw a card into the hat and then the cards get shuffled and revealed. And then we see that, you know, hey, one of the people participated in this threw in a negative card. And... Yeah. um you know, and you realize, yes, there's a traitor in our midst, but we don't know who it, who it was. Yes, and I feel like that. So I feel like that's the other way that these kinds of games have essentially tried to alleviate the the alpha player yeah. problem, which is via secret information. And I guess that's that's kind of true, right? Like, if there's no perfect information, then the alpha player can't optimize because what are they going to optimize but themselves, right? So. Yeah. That's great. You know, one problem I tend to have is that this this building on the alpha player problem is that co-op games, even if they're pure coordination, even if they're great games like Monster Hunter, is that they're very contingent on the people you're playing with. Um, yeah. I mean, when you're forming a team, it's your team that carries. And like you said, we win or lose together. So if we are, you know, if you're playing with people that uh, that don't form a great team, then you're probably going to lose together. But I think that's that's just that's true in in any exercise where you have to cooperate with other people. Yeah, exactly. And you know, but just because it's true for all exercises where you have to cooperate with people, it doesn't mean that it's not a negative, right? Like at the end of the day, as uh, somebody like you've played Heroes of the Storm, I've played League yeah. of Legends for years, and nothing is worse than getting paired with someone who doesn't want to even try. You know, like. Mm-hmm. 
they enter into the game and then they lose at the start and they're just like, oh, I guess I, I won't try or whatever. And I feel like the like I guess it to borrow a computer science term, there's a single point of failure in any cooperative game. Wherein if one of the players on your team decides to stop working towards your common goal, then you're basically gimped for the entire game. Because the game is built around the knowledge or the expectation that everyone is working towards the goal. And if the players start breaking that expectation, then it, it just becomes unfun for everyone, right? There aren't really a lot of great mechanics for dealing with bad actors like that. I don't. I, you have to do something on a very high level to be able to draw players out of your game. In mid midway through, and this is why I feel like Werewolf is such a great semi cooperative game. <laughs> Do you, yeah, I guess. I mean, there's certainly teams, and they're certainly working against each other, and they win or lose together. Yeah, so I guess that falls into the semi cooperative uh, yeah. group. And you know, and if somebody is being a downer or whatever, even if they're on your team or whatever, you you could in the game just have them kicked out by everybody else. So I guess it yeah. self-corrects in that way. And that's why Werewolf, like, as much as people dislike Werewolf for, like, you know, people getting kicked out early, I still feel like Werewolf sometimes has its advantages in the form of stuff like that, you know? It's like if somebody's being a Debbie Downer or a, a Douglas Downer or whatever, you can just, like, <laughs> throw them into the bin and go, like, all right, we kill you then, I guess, because you're being such a jerk, right? And yeah. that's fine. Like, they get their comeuppance. And I guess one last thing I want to bring up before we end this episode is cooperation has to feel like it's a natural thing you have to do to win the game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. Yeah, a lot of games, like maybe it's like a theme mismatch or a mechanics mismatch. But in a game, for example, wherein the mechanics are like Battlecon, say it's Battlecon, you and your friend are punching each other and that's how you win the game, by punching the other guy so much that they lose or die. The real question is, if you introduce the co-op mechanic that's like, oh, but sometimes you have to shake hands and love each other and hug. Uh, it doesn't seem very intuitive or great, so it'll feel weird if the game incentivizes you to start cooperating with each other at a weird time where I five minutes ago you were killing each other, right? I understand what you're going for in that. That's kind of a weird example. But yeah, can you give me a better you know, example, Brad? It's 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 a difficult thing to explain. Yeah. But I think the idea that you're going for is not only do you have to provide a means for players to work together, but you have to provide a reason for them to play together. Like if I'm playing doubles tennis and my partner is, you know, Serena Williams or something, the best thing I can do is probably go sit on the back line and uh and get out of the way. That's right? true. Um and so if uh, and so it's so you don't just want to give players an opportunity to cooperate. You need to make it advantageous and even necessary to coordinate. Mm, I think and I think that's a better. I think you worded it better. Oh, of course, of course you worded it better. But yes, that's 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 essentially what I mean, right? Yeah. Because if there's so it's not just about splitting your solo game up into multiple turn multiple roles, but it's also making sure that those roles have to rely on one another. To, to succeed. And that brings us back to alpha gaming, right? Because the alpha gamer will just literally just jape all the roles in order to succeed. But in reality, there should be a reason or a mechanical advantage to doing that cooperation with other people, you know? Because yeah. otherwise, it's, it's going to feel weird and it's going to feel a disconnect in your game and people are going to feel like you're, being, you're shoehorning them into cooperation. Like, if the cooperation yeah. is mandatory, but then, like, the cooperation 
doesn't benefit you in any way, except other than the game saying, if you don't do this, you lose, then it, it doesn't feel like it's a good adaptation yeah. of what cooperation should be or coordination should be. There's one uh, there's one cooperative game that I think is worth checking out if you haven't played this yet. It's called Magic Maze. And this is pretty extreme. It's basically like walking through a a maze and each one of us is holding a different arrow on the controller. If I need to walk, if we need to walk up, I just have to look at you in in a in, a, in an angry way until you push the up button for me. And Ooh. that's basically Magic Maze. Uh, there's a little bit more to it than that. It's a couple of different things, but that's the idea, is that we're all kind of controlling this one group, this one single pawn, moving it around this maze and trying to find our way out through real-time cooperation. That's pretty cool. That reminds me of this one game that I saw that was a video game called, like, I'll Form the Head, I think is the name of the game, where you and your friends have to co-op control a Megazord, and each one of you is a limb or torso or head. So yeah, stuff like that. Well, that about sums it up for cooperative mechanics. There's a ton more to say, of course, but we uh, we could we could do a whole podcast on just this topic. So yeah. I would say the best thing to do is play some cooperative games, see what uh, what you like, what problems you observe, and um, see if you think some of the things we've talked about couldn't be brought into a game, make it a little bit better. Yeah, that's true. And do tell us in the comment section down below if there are some co-op games that you feel we didn't cover or you feel fix a lot of the problems we've encountered or at least a lot of the problems we've talked about on this episode, please tell us in the comment section down below. I'd be very interested to read about them and discuss with you because that's that's what this podcast is about, Brad. We cooperate with our fans to make all of us better at designing games. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the New Level Cap Podcast. I would like to thank all of you for listening. And please, if you like this episode, give us a like. Give us a subscribe or share us with a friend. And if you hate it, share it with an enemy. As usual, it's been me, your host, Marco DeSantos, also known as Mechanic Critic. And with me has been my cooperative collaborator, Collusion Boy, Brad Talton. And as always, we want to wish you happy gaming and good night. Good night. Thank you, World of Design. Thank you and good night. The new Level Cap podcast is produced by Level 99 Games. Join us next Wednesday for more design talk and shenanigans. Thank you for listening.